God's mercy. So amazing. Please stand by. To every generation, He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's salvation. Please stand by. We'll be streaming oh, live. He made a mighty nation Please stand by. from the we'll seed of Abraham and led them through the wilderness. Hi, this is Betty coming to you from Brazil, where the weather is about 83 degrees, the sun is shining, and everything is just humming along here at the mission, paying bills, taking care of stuff. Um, the new year has begun really well here in Brazil and we're just thankful for all the people coming for morning coffee with Randall and bread that he's making every single morning. He's turning out that bread and then the feeding program is really underway again after the holidays. So good report here from Brazil. Thanks to all who support this uh, mission because they're doing a good work. So um, I'm going to speak a little bit this morning from Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, but I haven't been with you for a while in Acts, so just going to kind of do a running start here and give some context to where we are. You may recall that in chapter 10, we met a Roman centurion named Cornelius. The Bible says he was a devout man, a man of prayer. And he gave generously to the Jewish people, though he did not yet know Jesus, something in his heart uh, respected and loved the Jewish people. And he was praying one day in chapter 10, and he saw a vision. Remember that? And it said, send for Peter, who was at that time in Joppa, about 30 miles south on the Mediterranean coast in Israel. Joppa is about 30 miles south of Caesarea. And he said, he's at the house of Simon the Tanner. So he sent some messengers to go get Peter. Meanwhile, Peter's on top of the house in Joppa waiting for lunch to get ready. (laughs) And he also sees the vision. He sees the vision three times. God had to get through his hard head again three times to show him this vision of a sheep lowered from heaven. And he, it had animals, all kinds of animals that, according to Peter, were not clean, according to Jewish law. And Peter was still locked into that mindset, even though he'd walked with Jesus and seen everything from the crucifixion to the resurrection. He still was locked into that religious mentality of some animals are clean, some are not, this ceremonial laws. So he, in this trance, He saw a vision of animals, and God said to him, kill and eat. And obviously he wasn't talking about, you can now eat a ham sandwich, Peter. He was saying, he was talking about the Gentiles, no longer to be viewed as unclean. So here's Cornelius, whose household is Gentile. They're Roman, right? He's a centurion. And Peter is sent to go to preach the gospel to the household and the friends of Cornelius. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on all of them, and they begin speaking in other tongues. (laughs) That must have been a shock for good old Peter. 
But Peter sees what God is doing. He recognizes it, and he orders them to be baptized in water. And this is one of those interesting occurrences in Scripture where people are filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, even with tongues, before they're baptized in water. So if we get hung up sometimes about the order in which things must happen, we need to see that that's not always biblical. God makes his rules or his box, and then he breaks his own box. (laughs) He will do as as he sees fit. Um, So then in chapter 11, Peter goes to Jerusalem um, because he wants to share with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem what has happened to this household of Gentile, even a Roman centurion. And um, at first, when the, the apostles, the brethren at Jerusalem, hear that Peter had shared the gospel with Gentiles and they had received it with power and with tongues and being baptized, they criticized Peter. You remember that? Um, and in, verse, in chapter 11, Peter um, shares with them all about the trance he saw, how God showed him the ceremonial laws about the clean and unclean. And um, this actually, this they begin to put the pieces together. This event that happened in Caesarea is the second group of believers that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like a second Pentecost to show that God was giving Gentiles an equal gift and equal access to the kingdom, same as the Jews. Um, So now the church in Jerusalem begins to understand, wow, this is this is mind blowing for them, but they begin to understand God wants the salvation message. He wants the the baptism in water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the whole thing to go to all the world including the Gentiles. So this is another breakthrough moment in the history of the church. And as we look at our scripture today, guess who plays a major role once again in this breakthrough? It's our good friend Barnabas. (laughs) I think last time we met, we talked about Barnabas, didn't we? So good old Barnabas shows up again. Remember in Acts chapter 9, um, He urged the Jewish leadership to receive Saul of Tarsus, and he vouches for him that he has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And we talked about last time, without Barnabas, there may never be an Apostle Paul. Barnabas' name, you should know this by now, students, if you've been with us, his name means son of encouragement. And by definition, that is part of Prophesying. First Corinthians 14.3, you can probably say it with me now. <laughs> what, is, what is prophesying? What's the definition in First Corinthians 14.3? It is comforting. It is edifying and exhorting the church. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and comfort or consolation. His very name means son of encouragement. So here, where we're starting today, he's doing his thing again. So let's go to Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 19. And get back there. Acts 
So then, I'm in verse 19. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except for Jews alone. Phoenicia is north of Israel. It was a country that was about 120 miles wide, 30 miles long, and is actually today um, modern Lebanon. It's the country we know as Lebanon. Cyprus is an island in the northeast um, Mediterranean Sea, off of the coast of, of Lebanon and Syria. It actually is the home of Barnabas. It's where he came from. And Antioch was the third city of the Roman Empire. After Rome and after Alexandria, Antioch was the most important Roman city in that area. So, as you can imagine, it was mostly Gentile. So, it says here what we just read at first, as those who were scattered because of the persecution of, of Stephen, we read about that in Acts 8.1, how after Stephen's stoning, the church spread out. And so there, um, there were believing Jews there. There were Jews that had, had fled there. Um, but at first, they're sharing the gospel with no one except for Jews. So, uh, verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyrene is now modern-day Libya in northern Africa, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Greeks is another word for Gentiles. Um, so, these are not Greek-speaking Jews. We've seen them before. These are Greeks. These are Gentiles. And they began preaching the Lord Jesus to Gentiles. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Like I said, this is a breakthrough moment in the history of the church. I don't think we can possibly imagine what this meant to the Jewish believers and leaders for so long who had believed that the Gentiles were all their enemy. The Gentiles were unclean dogs, that God himself wanted nothing to do with them. Um, it was such a breakthrough in their mentality. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I kind of <laughs> to get too personal about this, but as, as I'm reading this, as I was, I realized, you know, I have some of those prejudices too. I don't think I do, but... For example, there might be people in Washington that I just think, oh, they're just bad. They're just bad, 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 bad. And probably God himself doesn't want anything to do with them. And to begin to pray that they could be saved, that they could be turned, that they could receive the light, that's kind of a stretch for me. That's seen that, that I can have that kind of mindset, too, that, oh, I think, oh, yes, God doesn't want anyone to perish, um, and he wants the gospel to go to all, but there are certain groups I just think, oh, they're beyond the reach of God. <laughs> they're too dark. They're too evil. And that's not right. 
That's not right. We, we need to pray for those who are in the most darkness. And the problem might be with us more than it is with them, that we're not even willing to pray for them or to believe that they could or should receive the gospel. Um, so this, is, this was the mindset at first of the Jews, that this is only for us. Alas, we see now this is our Jewish Messiah that's been promised. They finally put the pieces all together of scripture, of, of prophecy, but they still think it's only for them. So to break free of that is just phenomenal. It's just, you know, a watershed moment. If the church had just remained in Jerusalem and remained with the Jews. So I challenge myself and I challenge you to, to ask the Lord, do I have some of those same prejudices that I just think I'm, I'm comfortable with the gospel being for those of us that God likes and those that are just seem too far beyond his reach or too evil or too dark, no way can they ever be saved. Let's pray that God brings treasures out of darkness. Amen? Let's pray that God reaches into places we never thought he would or could. And, and let the Lord address those own blockages in our own mind and heart. Um, these who, the hand of the Lord, it says, was, was with them because he was pleased. He was pleased that they were stepping out into this unknown territory that they had resisted before. The presence of the Lord was with them, going before them, probably accompanied with signs and wonders and, and just the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, And a large number who believed and turned to the Lord. So that was the result of their faith, of their taking this step into what before would have been an unacceptable territory. Um, verse 22, And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. <clears throat> and this was a policy, a good one, of the leaders in Jerusalem to send a leader to check on new ministries that came to their attention. You know, we see that in Acts 8, verse 14. Let me look at that real quick. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. So, as the gospel spreading to all the remotest parts of the earth, as Jesus told his disciples it would, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, not just to speak in tongues, not just to have gifts, but to be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as this began to happen, then they would go and, and check. How is this going? Is it, are they preaching the, the real gospel? Are people coming to the Lord? What's happening? So they sent who? They sent Barnabas. <clears throat> Verse 23. And when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. And began to encourage them. Surprise, surprise. That's what Barnabas was famous for. He, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man 
and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And numbers were brought to the Lord. Another translation says a multitude. So this was a revival beyond proportion. What an exciting time. Um, it says that at the, in 23, when he had come and witnessed the grace of God. If you look this word up, grace, um, it's 5486 in the lexicon, and it's charis or charisma. And it means the favor and benefit of God. It's associated with joy, acceptance, unearned and unmerited favor. And from this word charis, and then you put that together with mata, which means movement, we get the word charismatic, which has become a bad word that a lot of people don't like, but that's simply what it means. He witnessed a movement of grace and favor and joy and being accepted into the household of God. And he encouraged them in this work. That's biblically, strictly biblically speaking, that's what charismatic means. Movement of grace with wonderful results. Um, like I said, it's become a bad word and it's characterized a whole sector of, um, have given it a bad name sometimes. But, Let's shake that off and get back to what, what it is, biblically speaking. So, again, Barnabas prophesies to them. He encourages them. Keep it up. And he says, remain true to the Lord. Don't get off into this vein or get off into that vein or, you know, get your um, specialty going, like ministries so often can do. They can just focus on one thing and sort of, just get hyper-focused on casting out demons or hyper-focused on one aspect or another of Christianity. But he says, remain true to the Lord. Look to Jesus. Constantly fix your eyes and your um, principles, your theology on him, and you will do well. Um, It's just... This is an exciting revival of great proportions. It doesn't give numbers like it did in, in um, when Acts um, begins, where Peter preaches his sermon and 3,000 are saved. And then when Peter and John heal the lame man, 5,000 more are saved. It doesn't say how many, but it uses words like multitude. So it's a very exciting revival, isn't it? An exciting breakthrough that the gospel is established in the Gentile world so powerfully. To verse 25. Am I going too fast? (laughs) Okay. Verse 25. And he, meaning Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Why is Saul now in Tarsus? The last time we saw him, he was in Jerusalem. He'd stayed with Peter, and he was going around and doing some ministry in Jerusalem. And, you know, he had to go through that long time of unlearning all these things he had learned by all of his high education and his theology. And he had to go through a time of stripping and unlearning before he could really be used by God. So um, he, is, he is back at his, where he came from. He is in Tarsus. And just I'll kind of give you just the history of that in Acts 9:11. Um, 
It says, And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So that's where um, Ananias is called to find him. It says he's from Tarsus, and he receives his call, and the scales fall from his eyes, and he is baptized. Then in verse 23 of that chapter, chapter 9, And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. (laughs) Of course, a person has a dramatic experience with Jesus Christ. He turns from being a terrorist to being a lover of Jesus and one who shares his goodness, and the Jews plot to do away with him. Um, It means something real has happened in his life. (laughs) I think sometimes if we're trying to live a really safe life, we're doing something wrong. If we're doing something on the edge, then somebody might be plotting against us. But that can be a good sign that we're threatening um, the darkness. We're threatening the, the kingdom of Satan. So as soon as he began preaching Jesus, they conspired to kill him. Paul always saw that as a good sign, not a bad sign. Amen? Okay, and then in verse 30, Uh, But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So he had had been to the apostles. They had been convinced that he truly had been changed. But he needed to go away for a time because, as I said, he had a lot of unlearning to do. He had a lot of stripping that God had to do of the religiosity and just the stuff that was in him before he could really be a pure vessel led by God. And so after this great revival um, in Antioch, why did Barnabas go after Saul? Um, He was a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, it says in verse 24. Full of the Holy Spirit means he was led by the Holy Spirit in all that he does. Um, so Barnabas was not only prophesying and encouraging there at Antioch, he was seeing by the Spirit what God wanted to do, that he had plans to build up the church. Something awesome has been started here, but it needs to continue. And he knows, I don't think of himself, but he knows by the Spirit that Paul has a place in this new outpost for the gospel to reach the Gentile world. Because if you recall, his call was to bear my name before the Gentiles and their kings and the sons of Israel. That's Acts 9.15. Paul, who had been such a zealous Jew, zealous of the law, Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin, all the credentials he gives in Philippians 3, He's been so focused on the Jews that God takes him and says, uh, sorry, but your call is going to be to the Gentiles, which Paul struggled with folks for 20 years. And I know about you, but that made me feel better when I, when I realized that, that Paul's call clearly to bear my name before the Gentiles and their kings and then the sons of Israel came third, 
And he struggled and struggled with that because as he began to go out and establish churches on his first and second and third missionary journeys, he'd always go to the synagogue first. He'd go to the Jews first. They'd beat him. They'd stone him. They'd run him out of town. (laughs) He wasn't accepted. But he struggled to go to the Jews first because that was his passion. That was his preference. Sometimes what we want, and we think, oh, this is what God wants me to do because this is what I like. This is what makes me excited. This is my personal passion. He's trying to say, yeah, but I want you to do something totally opposite of you. I want this to be of me so that I get all the glory. And when I see people being told, just follow your passion, I get a little nervous. I'm like, yikes. That doesn't follow with the character of God as he deals with mighty people of the Bible. He usually comes in and strips you of what you think and you want and how you think things should happen. And he gives you something that you say, oh, I never want to do that. (laughs) And then it turns out that's where the fruit is. That's where the power is. That's where God gets the glory. Because you don't know what you're doing and you didn't want to do it anyway. Amen? So this is what happens to to Paul and Barnabas knows this in his knower and by the Holy Spirit that Paul has been chosen as an instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Not to or not. And to finish the, what I was going to say about about Paul, it's in Acts 19 after being beaten by the Jews, stoned by the Jews, cast out of their synagogues. Um, he finally says, oh, their blood be upon their heads. I'm going to the Gentiles. <laughs> and God's like, finally, now we can get some real work done because finally you got in line with what I called you to do in the first place. But if it took Paul 20 years to come to terms with his call, then that makes me feel better if I've wrestled in my life with my call. God, but I don't want to do that. But I'd rather go and be this and do that. And he's, no, I've called you to this. It makes me feel better that I just don't get it on day one and then just soar with it A to Z. You know, it's not that easy. We, we wrestle with ourselves and our preferences and our likes. And then people come along and say, follow your passion. And then you really get kind of messed up. So it just comforts me that Paul had the same struggle. And God used him even through his struggles and even more after he finally totally lined up. So this is the beginning of Paul beginning to join the Gentile church and find his place there, and actually in chapter 13 we'll see him being commissioned by them to start the missionary journey. Um, So, like I said, again, Barnabas plays a major role. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year, They met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And here my footnote says that could be translated. So they were having Bible schools and 
Bible studies, they were teaching multitudes and raising them up to the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ and the Word and training them. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, one year, Luke writes, one year, they were teaching and training considerable numbers. Again, a very exciting time in the history of the church. They were first called Christians in Antioch, which means literally belonging to Christ. Christians belonging to Christ. This term is only used in scripture three times. Here, in Acts 26, I'm going to take time and read that to you. Acts 26, verse 28. And Agrippa, that was the king, uh, King Agrippa, where he's on trial before Festus and Agrippa. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And then the other time that word Christian is used in the scripture, the only other time, is in 1 Peter 4, 6, um, which, I thought I had it marked. Um, whoops, I think I have that wrong. Help me out here, scholars. 16, 416, okay. Um, what's that, Kathy? Um, is that that verse, do not be ashamed if you bear the name of Christian? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's First um, Peter 4, 16. Yeah, it's in the second to the 15. Oh, I'm in 2 Peter. I'm in 2 Peter. You know, that happens if you do that. <laughs> Yeah, that happens if you're in the wrong Peter. <laughs> Sorry for the delay. Yes. First um, Peter 4.16 But if anyone suffers as a Christian, do not let him feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. So, three times that word Christian is used in the scripture. We have a good friend, Art Druckenmiller, who sometimes teaches um, during this time on, on this channel. And he has shared with us that because the word Christian has become so loosely translated and misunderstood in our culture, he's chosen to call himself a Jesus follower, which I think is, is great. That's a little more specific than a Christian is today when people just hear that. Um, and in some cultures, if you say Christian, they think you're Catholic. And, you know, there's just misinterpretations of it. But it was very clear during this time when the scriptures were written that it simply meant belonging to Christ. Amen? So, um, just to conclude, oh, we're, at, we're at our time, so I'm going to wrap this up. This exciting time, this breakthrough time in church history that the Gentiles are clearly accepted into God's plan. You may recall in Nazareth, Jesus inferred, when he was speaking in the synagogue in Nazareth, he inferred that God's love or his healing or his plan could be extended to the Gentiles, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. Right? But Paul writes um, later to the Gentiles, um, to the Galatians, at the church at Galatia, in chapter 3, verse 27, 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor female. Free man, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I just want to emphasize that we, again, we don't get off on a tangent like we lean too far. The Jewish nation is still God's chosen covenant people. Israel is still God's land by covenant. Um, Anti-Semitism is increasing alarmingly around the world. I was just reading about it the other day. Today, I mean, in this very time, anti-Semitism is on the rise in Europe and other places. And it's clear, 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 uh, Romans 11, clear that God has not cast off the Jews. He has not replaced the Jewish people with the Gentile church. That's replacement theology and as long as can be. God will still fulfill all of his word and his promises and prophecy to the Jewish people, to Israel. He has not cast them off. But in terms of access to being grafted in, being adopted to those promises, those covenant promises and access to salvation, Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, spirit-filled ministry, it is open and available to all, Jews and Gentiles. So we saw the wonderful beginning of this in Caesarea and then in the city of Antioch. And may we see revivals like this in the Gentile world, in Washington, D.C., in every place that needs it, that is dark and in need of the gospel. May we see revivals like this springing up everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to be with you today. Into the promised land In boundless love and mercy He gave His only Son Who became the sacrifice for everyone For oh, God's mercy so amazing Oh, God's mercy so amazes me To every generation He gives the joy of His salvation Oh, God's mercy so amazes me As I watch the world around me I can see his mighty hand Delivering his people From the evil in this land The wounded and the broken From the seed of Abraham And led them through the wilderness Into the promised land in boundless love and mercy, He gave His only Son, who became the sacrifice for everyone. Oh, God's mercy, so 